Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. This show is dedicated to the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. We focus on the latest development news stories and highlight what's happening in the wider Elite community. I'm your host, Second Technician Fozzer Forrester, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder tonight, we have Lave Station's Chief of Operations, Mr. John Stabler. Good evening. Lave Radio Super Sub, Mr. Grant Walcott, a.k.a. Psycho Cow. Good evening. And joining us in the Sidewinder for the first time, a voice many of you should recognise from his Twitch TV channel, Crash Landing, Mr. John Virgo. Greetings, Commanders. Hi, John. Okay, so before we find out what we're getting up to on this show, let's find out what our hosts have been up to in the last week or so. Guessing we will start with the Lave Radio Virgin. Crash, pop your cherry and tell us what you've been up to. Oh, lots and lots of Alpha 4. It's fantastic, isn't it? I, I, I have been trying everything I can and testing and bug reporting. It's, I think uh, the first night I, I made a bit of a mess of the stream, but it, I was just completely all struck that first time uh, in Super Cruise going around the planet. And I suddenly forgot, ah, why do I need the time acceleration anymore? This is just amazing. It looks awesome. Okay, well, considering that Alpha 4 is going to be one of the main topics of the show tonight, maybe you shouldn't shoot your load too early. And what else have you been up to apart from Alpha 4? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, not much, really. Trying to get the Twitch stream sorted. I'm, I've got loads of things planned upcoming. I'm working on various bits and pieces, new artwork and all for the, uh, for the stream. And uh, oh, lots of other secret plans. Okay, well, without delving too much into your secret plans, I'm going to have to uh, also highlight something else that's been going on for you in the last week, and in fact, for the other two presenters on the show as well, uh, something about moderation on the Frontier Forums. <laughs> you had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> name and shame. Yeah, name and shame. Name and shame. Yes, yes. Very, uh, very graciously accepted uh, the position uh, of being a moderator on the Frontier Forums, and uh, yeah, I uh, just hope that I can help uh, keep it a nice and friendly place. I'm going to try anyway. Well, congratulations on that appointment, mate. Well deserved, without a shadow of a doubt. Thank you. And moving on to Mr. Psycho Cow. Now, the, we've, we've had to sort of give you a bit of a break for the last uh, few episodes because the last time we spoke to you, you were just about to move house. So how's that gone? Yes, we are in. We are still boxes, live, you know, sort of lining the halls everywhere because in the weeks that have passed we have then found the ideal house and we're oh, in the no. yeah so <laughs> i'm looking at probably moving again in september this year which should then be the most ridiculous amount of moves i think i think i'm a serial mover at the moment but i cannot wait for this place because this will be it and it represents absolutely everything that we could need from a house which is brilliant so fingers crossed i can get my offer in this week and the next time we speak i can tell you that i got it and then i'll be just waiting to move back across and it's only about another sort of five miles up the road we've got this tendency that we seem to be moving along this particular road in glasgow and getting <laughs> further and further away from the city center so that's been quite interesting I mean, the question is, though, if you're moving again in September, you must be looking around at all those cardboard boxes and thinking, do I really need to unpack this? I mean, I've unpacked the kettle, but, you know, all this stuff from the attic, surely that can just stay boxed. I've still not unpacked the kids. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it like that until we move again. So we've got the basics out and there's just no point because a lot of the stuff we've got is um, art supplies and equipment and things that we just don't need and we can't use in the current house. We're kind of trapped here for the time being it's not really 
suitable, which has kind of changed our plans because I wasn't going to be moving again until 2015. Um, so spotting this perfect house that's been on the market for a long time, which is always good because that means we've got a good chance of getting it at a fair price. And yeah, I think this could be it. You know, this could be a, a really, really good move for us, which would be amazing if it can help uh, my wife get a little bit more mobile and give her the sort of uh, layout that suits her and uh, wheelchair use would be brilliant. So I'm really quite excited about that. That's that's one of the exciting things that has been taking up a fair bit of my time. Well, congratulations on that, mate. I hope it all pans out for you. And uh, same as uh, Karash, congratulations on your new role. Yeah, I only said yes because I thought they were joking. <laughs> Have you just have you just before we go any further? You have established that they weren't joking because that was obviously our thought as well. <laughs> you see, I'm now in, in, into the well. I call it looking up the skirt of frontier, um, <laughs> and you know what you see up there, you can't ever unsee. So I'm definitely, I've definitely got the access. Um, but <laughs> I've always thought the moderation was the lower part of a fraction. Mm. So what have you been up to in the moderation? What exactly is the job of a moderator? Well, it really is to sort of make sure and keep the conversations going in a nice and friendly and family-friendly way and to try and appeal to calm and, you know, good kind of discussions and, and well-placed arguments and avoid the sort of pitfalls of falling into name-calling and the the little squabbles that sometimes break out and try and nip them in the bud before they become a big issue or involve somebody being banned because that's what you don't want. You want everyone to continue to have a good laugh and to get their points across but without causing any great upset. And the guys in there are very um, organised. They work very hard and it, you'd be amazed at the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes to keep the forums going. Well, absolutely. And maybe, you know, when it comes to Frontier actually releasing the product, it might be quite nice to uh, to actually see a little bit behind the scenes and find out what you know, what exactly goes on, as you say, behind the curtain. I have to say that uh, in case anybody was wondering, uh, Frontier Developments didn't offer me the job of uh, moderator. Uh, I think they probably thought I would wield the, uh, the ban hammer just as badly as I wield my own wrench. So, um, John, moving on. And what have you been occupying your free time with in the last couple of weeks? Well, free time has been pretty scarce, to be honest, because you know work, as always, has taken uh, priority for me. But the good news is that I've had plenty of time to play Alpha 4, and I'm sure we'll talk about that soon. But the important thing is I've been able to play Alpha 4 without any frustration. I've actually you know played the game, and, and uh, I've even found some time to hack away at the game as well. I'm sure we'll be discussing that as well. And also, just to pimp out the last writer's interview that we did, um, because obviously we haven't done a podcast for a while, but we we did that writer's interview with Gavin Diaz on their book, Elite Wanted. Um, And if you haven't listened to that already, definitely go check it out. It was a great interview. We had a good laugh doing it. And um, I've started reading that book, and it's, it's turning out pretty good, actually. Brilliant stuff. Okay, well, on this episode of Lave Radio, we're going to talk about the latest developed news. We've got quite a few newsletters to uh, to catch up on. I think we, we've we got 21 all the way through to 24 to talk about, and there has been a slight increase in the number of newsletters that we've seen coming out of Frontier, and that's down to the new marketing team that's heading up the community support. And a big shout out and a welcome to Jesse and Alison, the two marketeers that are now taking charge of the newsletters. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about 
a little bit about Alpha 4, Alpha 4.3 as it currently stands, what we thought about it, what our playing experiences have been. And we're going to talk about the topic of cheating within the Elite Dangerous universe and MMOs in general. Aside from that, we've got some interesting news to tell you about LaveCon 2014 and a few other bits and pieces to get our teeth into. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the development news. Hyperspace sequence initiated. Hyperspace jump in five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so starting us off with the newsletters, number 2124. We seem to have been falling behind these uh, now that they're coming out thick and fast. Um, most of the newsletter content from 2124 talks about the latest Elite Alpha, which obviously we're going to talk about in some depth. But some of the other things that we just want to pick out from there uh, are the designs for the Federation of Pilots, the Elite badges. So obviously um, in the old games you started off as... Uh, harmless, mostly harmless, all the way through to deadly and then finally to elite. One of the things that uh, we've seen in newsletters is the each one of those levels uh, is now going to have a corresponding badge and ultimately combining to make the uh, the elite griffin, which I think looks pretty sweet. Guys, do you like these? Yes, absolutely. It looks really good, although it might have been quite interesting if they maybe started you off with a, a baby chick logo uh, and then you sort of worked your way up the birds to get to this wonderful elite logo that'd be quite good there's so many times grant where i'm so pleased you've got nothing to do with the design of this game oh come on mostly harmless <laughs> little baby chicken on your shoulder i believe like, that's that's perfect well maybe you can do the alternative ranking system then and we'll do yours for the forums you try that but no i do like them i like the way that it's it's like an alternative to having those pips on your collar and the likes of star trek is you know something that you can look at somebody and if you have your guide handy, you'll be able to work out what rank they are without them having to sort of uh, tell you. Yeah, and the way it works, I think it will, It should be, after you play the game for a little while, it should be quite nice and visual. It should be quite easy to identify what, uh, what rank everybody's at. Um, so that was quite cool. Obviously, another one that stood out was the... Uh, the pizza invasion that you guys did. Uh, this was something that the the Skype, uh, the Elite Dangerous Skype channel, uh, organised. Um, which one of you guys orchestrated it? I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, but I think it was Ben Moss Woodward, who certainly he collected the the funding and made the order, so he was certainly at the forefront of that. Yeah, no, it was Ben. Um... And I think um, because I think it was the Skype chat room before that organised uh, the T-shirt for Michael Brooks, um, and I think it was Ian M Norman who organised that. And you know he, he had a PayPal account, and we all chipped in. So it seemed like another you know a, a, an ideal thing for us to do. And in the end, I think we put together quite a bit of cash. It's like over sixty quid. So and how many pizzas does over sixty quid buy you these days? Um, I can't remember. For, I haven't got the picture in front of me, but I think there was um, two. <laughs> I think we must have got some kind of a special deal then because they seem to have more than that so uh, there seemed to be enough to go around the office um, and was there any particular reason because I was obviously not on the Skype channel when this was all happening but was there a specific reason you knew they were going to be working late or yeah well no I think it was was it Ben Parry who said somebody um, on the forum said w when are we going to see Alpha 4 um, and he said at pizza o'clock so instantly, <laughs> I think quite a few people's minds are working the same way. And we said, fine, let's just send them pizza so we can get it. 
the, the, the biggest debate was how early is it okay to have pizza delivered? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can see from the newsletter, it was obviously very well received and they seem to have a lot of pizza on their mind when they were designing the uh, the planet that they've got a picture of in that newsletter. So, no, fair play. Again, it's another great example of uh, you know some of the, the camaraderie and stuff that we have in the, the, the Elite Dangerous Skype channel chat. Um, so if anybody wants to drop in there that haven't uh, previously visited, then just add FOSA 101 to your Skype contacts and we will drop you in there. I think we're currently sitting at something ridiculous now, something like 60, 60 people are regularly in there now. Yeah, there's quite a few people. In fact, I ha I've had to take a bit of a hiatus because um, I'm in work and I've just constantly got this window flashing at the bottom where people are... Um, discussing it, discussing everything elite and a lot of other stuff besides. So um, I, I, maybe I should just join it on the weekends or something. Because, um, but if 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 you're bored at home and you don't want to be watching Jeremy Kyle, then definitely join the chat channel because there's always something going on. Is that your opinion of the people that hang around in the Elite Dangerous chat channel? That they're just people that are avoiding watching Jeremy Kyle. Uh, yeah, well, now I've said it, I, I might have offended some people, but um, you know, I, I take it back. But but if you are somebody who, with a lot of time on your hands, um, and and you want to meet like-minded people and some some freaky people as well, I guess, then yeah, check it out. I'm just going to stop you, mate. I, I mean, I'm tempted to let you just keep digging, but maybe we should just move straight on to uh, one of our main topics that is of uh, Alpha Four. So Alpha 4, released in the middle of May, this gives Alpha backers their first real glimpse of the Elite Universe as a whole, and also allows for the first time uh, them to travel around it with a fully functional frameshift drive. So you can use a supercruise for fast in-system travel and also hyperspace for a seamless jump between systems. Within the Alpha you get five spectacular star systems that forms part of the BOOTs uh, constellation that can actually be seen from Earth. Uh, within that constellation, there is the planet Aranin. Hold on, just before we go any further with these, I mean, Aranin, are we happy with that pronunciation? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. What, so did they you, were, uh, what did you call the system? Uh, Booties. Oh. oh, we're just calling it Booties? Yes, and you see, if you did a Google search for it, you would have come across a site that says uh, astronomical pronunciation, and it says Booties, or boots, is an absolute no-no, and the actual correct pronunciation is booties. Okay. See, I do do my research on this show now. Yeah, I don't believe what you hear. So, is, is the I silent? Um, yes, let's just go with that. It's accented, isn't it? Anyway, so, uh, Aranin, it's, and that is a small independent system. You've got Dahan. Uh, which is a federation system. You've got LP98132, or rather LP98-132, which is an, an, which is an anarchic system. Uh, Acellus Primus, which is an independent corporate system. And Ibutis, which is a federation marine planet. So even though five systems sound small, each system is rich with sites to see, commodities to trade, and a few random encounters located at beacons dotted around the systems. As well as the familiar Sidewinder and Cobra, we also have a few new cockpits to explore in this Alpha. Uh, the Eagle, the Lake on Type 9, and if you can get the credits together, the massive Anaconda. So we've had about a couple of weeks to get really sort of bedded into the Alpha. What's your opinion, guys? In fact, let's go with, uh, let's go with your wow moments of Alpha 4, starting with you, Grant. I think, yeah, uh, yes, there are definitely, definitely some wow moments, although 
I think the biggest wow moment was when I realised I was in super cruise and that was because I couldn't get my thrusters to work. I hadn't realised I was in super cruise. Um, and, you know, you're hurtling towards these targets and I just didn't have a clue what was going on. And then once you get the hang of it and you suddenly drop out of the, the, the super cruise and the, the ship shakes and then appears and, you know, roughly in the area that you've aimed for, it's just mind blowing that that sound that engine as it lurches into it and the the sound effects are just unbelievable and just leave you sitting there kind of going, I don't even care where I am, I don't care where I've arrived. <laughs> and then, then then you get used to it. It's taken me a while to get used to Super Cruise. It really was. I just didn't realise that it was something different, and I couldn't quite get my head around what I was looking at and how to get the best of it. But once you get the hang of it, it's just. It's, it's amazing, and the risks that you take the longer the journeys are. I mean, I think I've had one of these uh, where you're pulled out by federal um, forces to scan your ship for illegal cargo. And I sat yeah, there. Yeah, the interdiction. They're, they're, they're fantastic. Other than you spin a bit long at the end of it all, but I quite like it. It's just those are the wow moments. Suddenly, there's a world, you know, okay, it's a wee small version of it, but there's, the scale of it is just wow. Okay, well, before you start stealing all the wow moments, let's jump across to, uh, let's go as a round and go with you, John. Your wow moment. Give me one wow moment from Alpha 4 for you. Um, for me, uh, and I'm probably stealing this from someone else, but um, the hyperdrive, definitely, and, and the animation as you go into hyperspace, and then obviously as you come out as well, um, it, it does look awesome. It's not quite what they had um, with the Damocles video. I, I think a lot of people were expecting that super-duper um, wow kind of hurtling towards, you know, the, the sun with, with, all of the, um, with all the dust clouds and things like that. Um, but it's still pretty impressive. And you can kind of gauge, um, you know, people's attitude towards it when you go around some of these you know news websites which are covering the alpha 4 release i mean it's one thing to listen to people's opinions on the forum but to get outsiders opinions on it is brilliant and a lot of people are impressed with you know the hyperspace because a lot of a lot of the sentiment is that um you know they've managed to do something which um, not many other space games have done and, and they're really happy with it um but also and, and you mentioned um Grant mentioned it is the sound. Um, there's so much praise for the sound in the game and and how awesome the ships the ships are. And it's great that you know it's different sounds for different ships. So that was the wow moment for me, definitely hyperspace. Yeah, I think I'll have to pick up on that and and I absolutely agree. I think the the thing that has been um, nice to see, as you said, is the the praise the hyperdrive and the hyperspace is getting i mean if you think back to you know iconic hyperdrive moments within the sort of the sci-fi genre you always think of you know the millennium falcon you know booting up its hyperdrive and you know the stars going to those nice white lines um this for me is pretty much there you know it's it's a similar sort of iconic thing. It, best, it definitely sets the benchmark for what games, you know, if we're going to have a, a resurgence in the you know, the space sim genre, yeah, I reckon that Elite Dangerous straight away has set the benchmark for what uh, a seamless hyperspace jump should look like and sound like. Crash? Yeah, I think uh, the thing for me that really struck me as, as amazing the first time I saw it was when I accidentally supercruised directly through a ring system thinking it would look cool, only to be uh, <laughs> yanked out of supercruise rather violently, barely missing thousands of asteroids as I hurtled through it. And then uh, when I f finally righted the ship and kind of looked at the sheer volume and scale of the, the number of 
asteroids in that ring system and it really kind of jumped at me it was like wow this is this is what procedural generation can do for us it's just it's the scale is just mind-blowing okay i'm gonna let's pick up and and sort of drill down on that one a little bit more because uh i'm interested to see whether or not we can convey on a you know on an audio sort of podcast what uh what that scale actually comes across uh, like because yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a standout moment. Certainly, the you know, the rings around the planets. Uh, maybe you can describe in a little bit more detail what, you know, how that's represented and how that changes as you get closer to it. Yeah, so they got this uh, the really fascinating technique they use. Where as you're approaching the uh, the planet, it goes from like a, a very basic flat interpretation. Well, that's what it appears like from that sort of distance and speed. And then as you approach it, um, they start to materialize, and you can see the individual little asteroids in amongst that ring system. Uh, and then when you finally drop out of cruise and start to go into uh, combat speeds, you kind of realize that the, these little asteroids they start popping in, and that they are actually these huge boulders, some of them like, you know, hundreds of meters across. Uh, and and the, the, the best part of it is, is I think, is when you, when you look directly across the axis of the, the ring system and you can just see it's, it's thick. It's just, there's no end to it. It just goes on forever. And it, it really is just astounding. It, it just, you've got that immediate sense of very large things in your periphery. And then as you look off into the distance, it's just this system just goes on forever. And it's, it's just something you've never really seen in games before. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, maybe that's all testament to the fact that you know this really is a different level of uh, of technology to what we've been used to before. You know, this really is next generation uh, space sims. But you're absolutely right when it comes to procedural generation. As you get closer to uh, to these planets with the rings around them, I mean, the rings do look flat, and as you get closer, they look like they've a little, they made up little dust particles. And to see those dust particles turn into these massive, you know, procedurally generated asteroids is just it's phenomenal. It's you know, it really is sort of breathtaking. Um, but I remember when we started the podcast, when we first saw some of the you know the screen grabs and stuff, uh, we were a little bit concerned because I think a couple of the videos, uh, some of the asteroids all looked uh, looked quite similar, and we were worried that you know we're going to have these asteroid fields of identical looking boulders. But I think it's fair to say that that's uh, that's a concern that's been put by the by because these things are phenomenally individual, phenomenally individual. Hmm. But yes, amazingly individual. It just looks like an amazing sort of place that you could drop out of Super Cruise and hide. You know, that that's the sort of gameplay that it represents, is the fact that if you were getting chased or in trouble, head into that thing. It's, it's so thick with these asteroids. You could get in there, switch on your silent mode and just drift, and it would just be amazing, amazing gameplay. Yeah, well, maybe just uh, talk a little bit about you know, one of the elements that's new to the Alpha, and that is that of uh, Super Cruise. So the way that you get into Super Cruise is that you obviously need to keep away from any of the the, you know, the large things in system that are going to mass lock you. There's a charge up time for your Super Cruise engines, and then you have to actually throttle up your engines to activate Super Cruise. And, I mean, it's difficult to describe because basically you just move from your, your slow in system engine for moving around uh, you know, around the space station and stuff, and you get this really smooth but yet very very fast transition around the the systems where you can actually see planets in the distance. You know, getting larger, and travel times can be anything from what under a minute to you know five ten minutes worth of uh, insistent travel time. I mean, there's 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 a bit of a split, I guess, with some people who think that the travel time is is you know, spot on at the moment, you know, if you want to travel 5,000 light seconds, it's, it's, it's going to take you a, few, a fair few minutes. 
Um, whereas, you know, and some people are happy with that, I guess, because um, that kind of works towards the balance of the game. That if you want to yeah. go anywhere, you got to spend some time going there. Um, I'm of the opinion I I do wish it could be like a little bit quicker because uh, sometimes I do feel that um, you could go and make a cup of tea if 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 you're going quite a distance. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, tea drinkers would probably be happy. Um, <laughs> other people might you know say oh well you know I'm getting a little bit bored. But um, overall, I mean I'm really impressed with it because as you said you you can. It's just so seamless at the moment. You know, you're traveling through space, and um, you know, planets come and go. You can really get close to them and sort of like slingshot off them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a great mechanic, and it's something that obviously originally they they didn't necessarily want to do um, because, but you know, technology-wise, you know, it's a big effort. Um, you can see that it's you know taken a lot of thought. Um, and I guess that, that we're still in in um, this period now of alpha testing where we're trying to find out whether it is a success or not. Just as an aside, I, I've noticed there's a bit of a slowdown when you approach these rings where obviously there's some kind of background rendering going on which can really um, affect your machine. And so obviously they're going to have to make the decision you know, whether they want to keep that and kind of go for higher spec machines or whether they want to, you know, whether there's something they can do about it. But um, at the moment, I think it works really well. Yeah, absolutely. Just before I go on to uh, hand over to Crash, the, you're right. The the whole aspect of the the Super Cruise came about from a topic that was discussed in the Design Decision Forum, uh, where people actually said, "No, you know, the system that you've got at the moment, where you sort of hyperspace to particular points within the system, it, it's not something that we like." So uh, they went away and they came back and they came up with this idea of Super Cruise and you know, I think even in its current early stage, it, this looks like something that's actually going to set Elite Dangerous apart from all the other games. I mean, to be able to gracefully slingshot around planets and explore the you know explore a solar system the way you can with Super Cruise, I think is a it's a fantastic experience. Crash. Yeah, I think um, in my opinion, the the travel time is is just right. But that's only because I'm I'm assuming Frontier have an ace up their sleeve, and there's there's been lots of talk uh, about uh, the frequency of interdictions occurring, and and really when you think about it, that's that's the gameplay elements that Frontier want to try and push. It's not it's not the empty travel from destination to destination. It's those little things that happen in between, and maybe stopping off in an asteroid field, getting uh, uh, pulled out of uh, supercruise by pirates and things like that. So I think they they've really left that time in there so that they can start to put little gameplay moments in and these these little events we just haven't seen yet yeah no absolutely if you think back to the original game if you think back to elite yeah there was uh, there was lots of times where you would uh, be dropped out of um, fast travel whatever it was called back then to face uh, pirate crates and other ships, sidewinders, and the likes. There was, you know, it was quite rare actually that you managed to jump all the way through to a planet without getting pulled out of uh, the fast traveling system, and you know, that partly made the game. Grant? Yeah, I was just going to say it's, it's far less frustrating as the speed time up mass lock issue that you used to get all the time when you're playing Elite and the the various versions of it because that just drove me to distraction because it could be a friendly ship but then you're stuck there waiting for it to pass uh, and, you know and I think the longer that you are in super cruise the higher the risk that you're taking um, the only thing I think is missing and it's probably just because it's going to be added at some point is the ability to see 
other ships because they did mention that the lights would be distorted so you'd be able to yeah. see them. So that's missing and I do think it maybe needs a bit more visual distortion to make it feel like you are and it's to me at the moment it feels like you're in a large map view. Like in these, yeah. the games like Pirates and stuff where you'd go to the map view for the sort of seafaring bit and then you'd zoom in for your, your sea battles. So it feels a little bit like that and it would be nice to have maybe some kind of distorted visual effect to make it more obvious that you're travelling at huge speeds and you're in this kind of uh, super cruise um, alternate kind of travelling way would be awesome. And then I think it's perfect. But I think the timing's spot on because it gives you that sense of risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I concur with that. I would say that the, the timings, I actually quite like the aspect that even though you're going at these you know, really fast speeds, that the... It does take you a certain amount of time to do large distances within a system. But, uh, I mean, obviously we talk about how graceful and how smooth it all is. What about when Super Cruise goes wrong? What about those times where you get pulled out, you get, uh, you know, you run into some interdiction, or you either try and uh, fly too close to a planet or a set of rings, or even you just crash out by pressing, uh, pressing the wrong button on your keyboard and cancel your Super Cruise drive. What do people think about the animations and the, uh, the feelings in that? Well, they have said, and this was a question that I put on the forums actually about um, the interdiction, because at the moment it seems to me that if you get pulled out and you're going fast, um, or someone actually interdicts you, you kind of your ship's sent into a bit of a spin. And I did ask the question that what if you're travelling at a low speed, you know, the, the the speed you normally go at when you want to drop out? Um, how come if you get interdicted at that speed that that you kind of spin around? And they did confirm that. Um, that's just placeholder at the moment, so that kind of made me happy. But um, yeah, it's it's a bit scary when all of a sudden you've got that kind of red proximity light, which is flashing faster and faster as you get close to a large body, um, and then you you better take evasive action, otherwise you're going to get dumped out, and, and um, you've got to kind of reset your path. But uh, interdiction itself is, I, I think it's a great mechanic, because as you said, you know, it gives you something interesting, you know, on what would perhaps be a bit of a um, a dull journey, you know. And sometimes you, you're you thinking, what is this interdiction going to be? Is it going to be, you know, a pirate or a group of pirates? Or is it just going to be a pat down by the Federal Security Services? Um, which obviously you don't mind unless you're carrying stolen goods or, or um, you know, you're, you're smuggling something illegal. Yeah, and I think that's the the key thing, really, isn't it? It's going to become one of those most important aspects of the gameplay. Once players get the ability to find other players who are currently in Super Cruise and pull them out and uh, and cause the interdictions themselves, I think it's going to become a really, really important uh, part of the the overall game. And uh, it's going to lead to some really interesting little encounters, little events that can occur. And uh, I just I can't wait to uh, start playing with that myself. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Okay, before we leave, uh, travel. Let's just quickly talk about the, the hyperdrive system and what hyperdrive looks like and sounds like when you jump into it. We've already touched on it slightly, but um, the first time I jumped into to hyperdrive, you get this, well, for me, it immediately seemed very similar to the opening credits of, of Doctor Who, where you're traveling through the, you know, the wormholes and the TARDIS. Um, but also uh, the sound when you're going through hyper, um, hyperspace. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have picked up on it. I'm sure you have the, the sort of the slight whispers that you seem to be at, which really sort of I like the idea of that and the whole idea of sort of witch space, that you hear all these voices and, and slight whispers as you go through hyperdrive. You guys agree with that? I don't that's, know what you're on about, whispers. Yeah, yeah what's in your head. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's um, it's cool. I mean, when you got the super cruise, you've got like this kind of rumbling thunder, uh, and then when you're in hyperspace, you've got like this this kind of whispering sound. And I mean, I haven't got an Oculus Rift, so I don't know what it's like when you're completely immersed. I mean, is it slightly freaky? Is it like a horror game or something? It's awesome. I think Rash would agree. Um, that was one of the things that uh, when I realised in my Oculus, I haven't set it up since I moved properly. Uh, when I was just my son went, oh, can I see hyperspace with the Oculus on? And it took me half an hour to get it working, and it was <laughs> worth every second because really this new alpha and the Oculus, it just seems to be that if you get the resolution settings right, it is. It's something special. The, the game just feels amazing. Um, I know some people have complained about the head bob affecting the Oculus, but I didn't. I really didn't feel that. I actually felt really as if I was in this cockpit. And the only thing that let it down was the the star map. It just doesn't work for me. Um, but that was it. Straight in Oculus. Do the hyperspace jump. Sit back and just go. Wow. Well, as we're privileged enough to have two people with Oculuses on the show, Crash, your thoughts on the Oculus? Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think I said it on the stream. I mean, it was a really silly little thing. But I remember in uh, Frontier Elite 2, you, you couldn't go to external view whilst you're in, in the hyperspace tunnel. And it literally was just to, to, for a rendering limitation of the day. And now the fact that you can just sit there and kind of gawp at these like clouds, like barreling past you as you go through it, it just it looks absolutely stunning. It really does just distract you completely. And I've done it a couple of times, dropped out of hyperspace, not even realized and kind of, ah, oh, you know, so it's a fantastic effect. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's leave travel there for the time being and touch on the point that grant's just made and that's of the the star map now obviously the, the alpha 4 is locked down to you know this um this buotis uh, system this constellation with the the five um the five systems inside it but the star map itself it actually gives you access to the entirety of the the galaxy so you know, if you wanted to, you can search for Sol, you can search for Lave, you can search for uh, Dizo and all of those. And, and the star map will actually zoom down to, to a planet level and give you a little bit of information about the planet. Now, what do you guys reckon to the star map? Is it everything we hoped it was going to be? Mr. Stabler. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a tough cookie because, um, you know, representing all that kind of 3D data, um, and especially with, you know, the galaxy it's not flat like in previous games. Um, in fact, you know, it, it's actually really, really deep. If you use the mouse wheel to scroll up and down the levels, you just get an idea of how massive the galaxy really is. Um, and I think they've done, you know, they've done a brilliant job. Um, and I think it was only natural they were going to have to add in a search ability rather than you just manually having to kind of scroll through all the stars because, you know, 400 billion systems, it's, it's, it's a lot of stars. So um, I think they've done an excellent job. Um, and obviously, I think we'll get a better feel for it once we are using it as a navigation tool rather than just as a way to kind of see what's there. Crash? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the thing that jumped out at me straight away, as John said, was the uh, the verticality of of the whole map. The fact that the the core systems are arranged almost on top of each other, and it kind of encourages you as a player to kind of realise there's a real depth to this map. And I think that the thing that kind of the wow moment for me when I was playing around with the map was when I went to the very center of the uh, the galaxy, uh, got the camera right down close into it, and it, it the only the only way to describe it is like looking at a clump of tangled Christmas lights. It's like you just cannot see where where to go on it. It's that many stars, and I, I can't wait to get in the middle of that. Brilliant stuff, Grant. It's awesome. It's kind of overwhelming for me because I, I just look at it and haven't got a clue what I'm doing with it. 
<laughs> I, I have enough problems with the OS maps that you get, you know, from the local news agent and they're looking at this thing going, oh, bloody hell, I don't know where anything is. I'm going to get lost. I get lost in my own house. <laughs> well, I mean, how do you think it compares to you know, the system we had in, say, the, um, say, Frontier Elite 2, where you could actually go in and you could have a look at the system, you could have a little look at the, you could have a look at the information on there, a bit of the history, uh, but it also showed you, you know, what the planets were, which ones had stations and stuff. I mean, do you find some of that information lacking in the current one? Crash. Yeah, at the moment, I mean, I remember right back early on, I think it was one of the very, very early newsletters, we had a picture of the Ori and uh, showing the, the system details. I think that's to come. I, I hope it is, because at the moment it does feel like I just I just want to drill into those little stars and find out more information about it. But uh, as it stands at the moment, it, it really is It's just such a wealth of information. It's so dense. It's just overwhelming. But uh, yeah, I, I really want to see those little uh, those little system views so we can click around planets and get more uh, more information. And that's the thing that was always fun in Frontier Elite 2, was just kind of like finding those little background details. It made the whole thing seem more believable, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It also made it very easy to see within a system where, you know, where your trading hubs were, you know, where the big stations were. Uh, so you could even sort of do some trading within the system as opposed to you know, jumping from system to system. So, yeah, it'd be nice if we could see the Ori come in uh, in future updates, possibly the beta and stuff. That would be quite nice. It would also be quite nice if... Um, you know, that map system actually populated depending on what information you bought. So maybe you only started populating things if you bought the information or if you actually visited that system. Or you know, certainly when you get further out from the, you know, the, the main galactic highways, um, that the information only gets populated if you buy it or if you actually visit those systems themselves. So we'll see how that one pans out. But talking about trading and the trading hubs, what do we think of the stations now? Obviously, within the development cycle, we've seen lots of very uh, pretty, very interesting concept art for the various different stations now. Alpha 4 still currently has the, the Coriolis in its current form. Uh, more stations will follow. But what do you guys reckon to uh, the various different uh, trading hubs? Grant? I think the, you know there's a noticeable difference when you get to the stations. I know it's mostly colours, um, and I don't know if maybe the colours are what leads to you feel that some stations are either slightly bigger than others. I don't know if it's actual or it's just the colours that they're using. But you definitely get to recognise them, you know. Um, I think the red of uh, the red and black of uh, Chango gives you that impression that you're <laughs> you're about to meet your death at any second, and so <laughs> if you're trying to dock in a lake on, it's true. <laughs> so and and then once you're in there, you know, getting to know the prices and the trading systems works works really really well once you get your head around it. It all makes sense, which is you know beautiful because that's one of the or could be one of the most complicated parts of the game, but it's so simple to navigate and to use um, that, you know, you can concentrate on the complication of working out where you're going to take that cargo to and your next journey. So it seems to be, you know, you can get through that quite quickly without having to go item to item to item to work out what you're buying. So I really like it. I really like it. It's really, I can't think of the word. What's the word? Really accessible. Yeah, accessible. That'll do. <laughs> uh, John, would you agree you'd say it was accessible? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's all quite um, for the menu system. In when you're in the space station, is it's still kind of placeholder at the moment. Um, but but you know, I'm I'm fine with that. The commodities market, I was actually quite impressed with because they seem to have got the density of information spot on. 
you know, you can have a look at all of the different commodities that are available. They're all categorized. We didn't have that in previous games. They were all just listed alphabetically or whatever. Um, so it's nice to to have like, you know, categories, um, which kind of helps when, you know, you have this awareness of what kind of economy you're, you're dealing with. So, um, for instance, you know, if you're in an, an industrial uh, world, you know, you know, that there's going to be certain types of commodities and you can trade in any of those ones because they're all going to be in the same kind of category. Um, and not just that, but also they've added in a kind of um, a galactic mean price for goods. Um, and this kind of simplifies the whole concept of trading because you can actually see that the price for a particular good is either above or below the galactic average. So it kind of it doesn't give you all of the information. Um, especially in in terms of you know local systems and things like that, but it does give you an idea of you know what is cheaper on that world and maybe in a lot of other places. Um, and it, but it doesn't give too much of the game away and it doesn't make trading trivial. So I think they did a really good job on that. Um, with the outfitting, you know, I mean we've we've seen it before in in Alpha Three, and I think you know it's 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 good. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing lots of new weapons. Um, you know, and actually been able to make sure that you can find the right weapon for the right hard point. Um, and yeah, the, the, the rest of it, um, as I said, it's kind of placeholder because, you know, for instance, the black market is listed on the menu um, as just like an option. And I'm thinking, well, half of these places would just shut it down if it was that obvious where it was. But um, no, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the style of the stations as well, like we touched on the 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 just the visual little cues, the simple things. I mean, in, in newsletter twenty three, we saw the uh, the Orbis space station for the first time, and it's a completely different style. But I think just the subtle things, like Grant was saying about uh, Shango Dock, is it just looks different. It gives you that impression of what that system is going to be like, what the the uh, economy type is like there, whether it's anarchic or something like that. And you know, it's those subtle little things that I think the procedural generation can can really kind of portray to us is you're going to see all this different variation. Um, so, you know, even seeing the same type of dock over and over again, it's going to be a different experience each time. And I, I can't wait to uh, to really look into that. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's just going to be great to behold all those different variations when we finally get to them. I, I mean, I think they did quite well, considering they've had, you know, had to use the same model um, in this alpha build. I think they've done quite well, you know, making it, making the different stations, you know, subtly different. So you didn't feel like you were just docking in the same place all the time. Uh, but again, you know, it's placeholder. We're going to see lots of new stations in the next build, hopefully. The bulletin boards, were they specifically for the, you know, the higher tech uh, systems? I, I, I meant to, uh, to double check it, but uh, I don't remember seeing any in the uh, anarchic system, which that Coriolis had a sort of a, a rundown feel to it. Whereas, you know, some of the more, uh, bigger trade hubs with the uh, the larger commodities that seem to be the ones that had the uh, the bulletin board suggesting a sort of a wealthier economy is that uh, does that pan out yeah there definitely seem to be some differences in the stations and uh, what they had available to them i know there's there's one dock in particular i can't remember now but it didn't seem to have a black market at all um so it's going to be interesting to see what those subtle variations are and when we do get a a full bulletin board system with the, the missions and the uh, the various other things that we're all expecting um i think it's going to be really interesting to see what those variations are whether we're going to see uh, you know shadier little places are going to have more interesting little uh, uh, profitable events that you can trigger off 
or uh, or whether or not it's actually better to go to the uh, to the bigger uh, highly populated areas and get uh, some some different uh, missions from there instead sorry did i misunderstand bulletin boards as being the advertising boards at the front yeah as you fly into the docks that's what yeah yeah i mean crash it's a, you just touched on there the whole event system and the fact that we don't have um you know particular uh, missions in this build yet but what they have included is uh, according to the uh, the development news, they have included over 40 individual uh, random events that can occur throughout the systems at uh, you know, unidentified beacon sources and stuff. What's been your experience of the unidentified signal sources and the random events? I must admit, I've only been uh, to a few of them, um, and each time I seem to be faced with a, a, a few large anacondas with uh, eagle escorts that seem to be desperate to scan me down to see if I've got any illegal cargo. Um, what about you? I mean, have you come across some interesting ones? Let's go with uh, Crash. You probably played it most. <laughs> yeah, I've played it too much. I think um, nah, there's no such thing as too much. I, I've seen some interesting things. I don't. I don't really want to spoil them. But uh, there's, there's one particular uh, source that I found, signal source, and there was a uh, what looked like a wrecked cobra with a couple of uh, toxic waste canisters around them. And and like you said, you, you found a couple of events uh, and that kind of randomness where there's just different things each time. I think that's one of the things that's going to make that traveling across the systems really interesting. It's uh, you know it's it's going to make the game what it is it's going to you know really kind of make it stand out from the the other space games you see where you, you see these different events which might be subtle each time just just a slight variation upon a theme or it could be something completely different and unexpected like uh, um, the, the pirate ship colossus perhaps i mean interesting the yeah the point you mentioned there about the you know the broken down cobra leaking toxic waste you didn't get close enough to see whether or not it was registered to slough by any chance did you <laughs> I, I did scan it, but uh, I couldn't get any ship ID off it. But uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't bother scooping up that uh, cargo because, of course, we, some people have found now that it does start to damage your ship's systems if you carry it. So we're going to have some real trouble trying to get all that uh, all that waste to slow, aren't we? <laughs> John, what about you, mate? Have you tried any of the uh, unidentified signal sources? Seen any random events? Well, yeah. I mean, there was hints that there was, you know, a lot of varied and random events going on. So I thought oh, I'll try some of these out. Um, and the, I think the first one I went to, I was I was playing online with my brother, and we went, we travelled. Oh, it seemed like we were in super cruise for like ten minutes, and when we finally got to this unidentified signal source, it was just canisters of toxic waste floating so we th we felt hard done by it with that one but uh last night it was kind of bizarre i um flew to a to a signal source uh, and when i got there there was loads of imperial fighters chasing after a lake on um i think it was in Iranin, and i um i just finished off the um the lake on um freighter um and then not much really happened but so i thought what the hell i'll i'll shoot down a, a federal fighter and see what happens and then all hell broke loose as they all turned on me so i kind of frame shifted out there as soon as possible um but yeah i mean that something different seems to happen every time i go to them so they i mean correct me if i'm wrong but they really do seem random sometimes you know you don't know what you're going to see when you get there um whereas there's some other encounters which are a bit more you know a bit more formal and you and you you know what to get like you can jump to a ring system um, and do a bit of either piracy or bounty hunting, very similar to the ethics and credits that we saw in the previous alpha. Um, but there's a lot of there's actually AI pirates there, so bounty hunting is 
Um, it's it's a lot more fun because you're not waiting for human players to commit a crime before you can go after someone. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, one of the just thinking about one of the interesting encounters I had was right next to one of the uh, one of the sons, um, which in itself was an amazing thing to to fly up close to and just see the yeah the way that that's rendered is uh, is beautiful. It really is seeing all the solar flares and stuff erupting from it was uh, amazing. But uh, right next to the sun, there was a, a Federation staging post for. They're obviously doing some sort of military operation, and this was where they were all jumping back to after a big battle. So you were getting reports across the you know the local band of you know people were suffering massive casualties and people going out to the you know medical ships and stuff like that. So you know telling a story that you could literally just sort of eavesdrop into, uh, and you didn't even need to play a part to it. You were literally just watching these ships sort of fly in and fly out and just listening to a bit of the, I say listening, reading a bit of the the comms chatter and stuff. And you know it was great for a sense of immersion just throwing you into what was you know a much larger universe okay so before we leave the topic of alpha 4 uh, before we park it let's uh, talk about parking and specifically some of the larger ships that you can fly within the alpha uh, now i have to confess i've been having so much fun in the eagle i haven't actually got out of the eagle even though mr brooks very kindly gave everybody in the alpha uh, 1.5 million credits to spend on pretty much any ship apart from the Anaconda. Um, I've literally just stayed in the Eagle. So what about you guys? Have you uh, tried the bigger ships and are they indeed difficult to dock? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I jumped straight for the lake on as soon as I had chance to do it, thinking, oh, this is this is going to be a really fun experience. And, uh, oh, it was hard. It was very, very hard. And I, uh, I, I must admit, I mean, I did. I got out of the station first time. I managed to land first time. And I know a lot of people have been commenting on it. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculously impossible. And it's not. You just, just take it slowly. It's a different ship. You've got to treat it differently. And uh, I think, you know, it... it gives that really great variation to the whole elite universe it uh, you know it uh, it maneuvers a lot more slowly it takes a lot longer to accelerate up to speed it really feels like a different ship it feels like maneuvering an oil tanker or something like that um, not to say that it's bad i mean it's fantastic to play with the cockpit is uh, just so much different to some of the other things. I mean, particularly when you when you get the Oculus Rift on, it's completely open. I think the first time when I jumped into another system, and and I just sat there for ten minutes, just staring at the star. And it's it's, it's like you're kind of sat in a fishbowl, just looking out over the top of this gigantic star underneath you, and it it just it looks absolutely stunning and uh, i mean the other thing with the, with the cockpit on the lake on is the 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 main commander seat is is lifted like a floor above and then there are two other commander seats down below which i assume is for crew at a later date um with what looks like some sort of lift shaft or uh, something behind them so it's it's such a different uh, design to the other cockpits that we've seen and um it's it's just amazing to behold the first time you jump in yeah, I've, I've, I loved the lake on. I was playing it for quite a while actually because um, it was interesting to go into a kind of like a battle setting and, and try and play a bit differently, you know, stay on the fringes and, and let some turreted weapons do the damage rather than try and fly it like a fighter. But um, I, I agree completely, you know, it is simple enough to dock if you take your time and you don't try and rush it, but it seemed less forgiving than a lot of the other ships. If you do hit something with it, you just instantly explode. It's like the thing's made of glass. Uh, I don't know if that's intentional or, or, or what, but um, yeah, that was interesting. And then, of course, I had a go in the Anaconda. Now, that is a bitch to dock. 
um, because it really is up against the limit, it would seem, in, in terms of size and trying to get it through that docking port into the into the uh, space station. Very rarely was I able to get it through without scraping along the side, but it was a lot more forgiving than the lake on um, when you did hit something. Yeah, I think the, the key thing is, and it's not immediately apparent, I mean, without some kind of manual or something to describe this to us at the moment, I think the key thing I found um, after a little bit of trialing error, I will admit I didn't get it right first time, with the Lacon, you've got to kind of aim slightly below the center of the dock because the cockpit's quite low. But then with the Anaconda, of course, the cockpit's on top. So intuitively, you want to go in the center of the dock, but that's not going to work for you. You almost have to go in as if you're trying to scrape along the roof of that uh, docking port. When you do it that way, way um you kind of get used to the, uh, the 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 difference in docking and you can you can get in a lot easier but yeah it does take a lot of practice and i i think that's that's one thing that's really great about the game actually is that uh, that variation just from these few ships we've seen so far is that it's it's you know it's a completely different experience each ship and you're going to have to work your way up through it gradually it's not going to be something in the full game you're going to jump from one ship to the other frequently you're, you're going to work up to those larger ships so you will get used to it Guys, just uh, remind me, because again, I haven't been out of the Eagle, but uh, is there a difference in the, the soundscape from the different ships? So is there a difference in the sound of Super Cruise when you're in some of these larger ships as opposed to when you're in the, the Sidewinder or the Eagle? I, I When I play, believe it or not, because i got Evan in bed, I actually have to turn the sound down quite a lot, so I probably miss out on a lot of the different nuance, but um, I don't know, Crash is going to be in the best uh, position, I think, to talk about the sound. Yeah, the um, the things like super cruising all at the moment. There doesn't seem to be a lot of difference between the the ships, and I assume that's just placeholder. But definitely the uh, when these ships are maneuvering in typical like combat and maneuvering speeds, they all feel different. They all sound different. Um, they, just like when we heard the difference between the uh, Sidewinder and the Cobra and Alpha Three, they, they all they all have a, a unique kind of distinctive sound to them. Um, the Eagle in particular is I, I'm I'm loving it. I've actually downgraded back to the Eagle. Absolutely fantastic. It, you, it really does feel like a fighter. It's got that kind of roar, where, like afterburners kicking in when when you uh, when you accelerate rapidly. Uh, it, it, it's just everything about it just makes it feel and sound like a completely different ship. Yeah, and as I say, I'm having so much fun in the Eagle. I haven't even bothered to uh, to try and trade out of it yet. So I'm probably going to have to do that before the beta players come in, because obviously when the beta players come in, everything gets reset to zero again. So we all start off again. <laughs> Uh, with uh, you know, the, the base amount and probably back in our, in our humble sidewinders to make sure it's a level playing field with, uh, with all the newcomers. So uh, that'll be quite good fun in, a, in less than a week's time. So yeah, I'm going to have to get out there and, uh, and try the, the larger ships out sooner rather than later. Okay, so we'll leave it there for Alpha 4. Uh, no doubt we'll come back and revisit that on future episodes, especially seeing as Premium Beta will soon be arriving in the Elite Universe. It's going to get a whole lot busier. Right now, we'll take a short break and we'll come back for the discussion topic, that of cheating in the Elite Universe. Attention, attention. Please stand by for a Lave Station educational broadcast. Badge of Honor. The Pilots' Federation. As a recent inductee to the Pilots' Federation, there are some things you need to know about your new organization. Formed in 2805 after the great surge in private ownership of smaller starships, the Pilots' Federation soon found a role as a conduit for trade route information exchange between trusted pilots. 
and provided the infrastructure for a mutual protection scheme against the rising scourge of interstellar pirates. Planetsiders began to distrust the generally itinerant nature of starship captains, who always seemed willing and able to jump to a new system before the law caught up with them. The Pilots' Federation's zero-tolerance policy of dishonourable behaviour amongst its members is enforced by a system of bounties automatically placed on the heads of transgressors. This built a galaxy-wide respect for the badge, which then started to be worn with pride by members. However, the organization's official adoption of the nine-level kill tally ranking system, harmless through to the coveted elite status, ensured the Pilots' Federation retained a level of bloodthirsty notoriety. Over the centuries, the Pilots' Federation has remained secretive in nature and neutral in conflicts, and has grown into one of the dominant financial superpowers of the galaxy through its Galnet data network. Originally a star chart, ship data and bounty management system, Galnet has evolved into an effective galactic infrastructure and content monopoly on news, market pricing and communication systems. This has not been without controversy, with periodic claims of data hoarding and abuse of its position. It's not surprising that an organisation founded on status and with such influence and power has several cliques, the Dark Wheel being the most infamous. Or that those of elite rank have further exploited their status and the incredible demand for their services by forming an organisation within an organisation, the Elite Pilots' Federation. Relentless, increasingly well-organised piracy and the need to maintain their reputation and influence as the best of the best caused the Elite Pilots' Federation to start opening its membership to candidates from the deadly rank who were able to pass a rigorous test and then, as demand continued to soar, to those from the dangerous rank. The Pilots' Federation has eschewed being tied to any particular system in favour of roaming the stars, with one exception, the Founders' World. The elusive Founders' World system is governed by the Elite Pilots' Federation and run exclusively for the benefit of their members. Its location is closely guarded, heavily protected and the subject of extensive misinformation on Galnet. Maybe one day you'll be one of the elite who get to go there. Okay, so the topic for debate this episode is one that's come up on the forums over the last few weeks and towards the end of the alpha we've seen a number of hacks, mods, cheats entering the universe of elite. Now, as all the alpha backers have the same goal in mind which is to help make elite dangerous the best possible experience it can be, I take my hat off to this band of elite coders for exposing to Frontier the loopholes, errors and exploits in their code. In Alpha, it's quite funny to see an invincible Sidewinder piloted by Commander D. Braben take down your fully spec Cobra Mark III. However, I'm not sure people will find it as funny if it occurs in the retail release. So what do we think? Is cheating in the Elite universe an inevitability? Can it be stopped? Will it spoil the immersion of the game, or is it more likely that we just won't even notice it? Your thoughts, Mr. Stabler? Well, first of all, I'm going to be pretty forthcoming. Uh, I'm a dirty, filthy cheater, and I have been Ooh. I have been since, believe it or not, the first alpha, which was a single player. Um, I the, One of the first things I did was start hacking the client. In fact, I think my first ticket to Frontier Developments was about uh, a security issue. So I am a dirty, filthy hacker, but I think that it needs to be done simply so that it's not going to be only done uh, once it's been released, um, or even once it's in gamma, because there's going to be so many people using it then. You know, the backlash against people who are taking advantage of any weakness in, in the in the client um, is going to be substantial. 
So I, I think it's part, it's a major part of the alpha process, especially considering the people that have been spearheading it have been, you know, doing it purely so they can submit tickets to Frontiers, so they can basically find out where all of the um, where all of the problems are, and, and actually get some working scenarios so that it can be demonstrated in a ticket. Now I think what's happened is that because obviously I. Th- I say obviously. From what I've seen, I think that Frontier, obviously, they're focused on getting a, work, a game out there and they're wowing us with their alpha builds, which I think is, you know, perfectly fine. And I think security, obviously, is taking a bit of a back seat, and especially considering that people have been helping them um, actually find all of these different exploits, you know, it's it's almost been crowdsourced, which, you know, I'm fine with as well. So, and because but because they've taken a bit of a, you know, because they put it on the on the back burner, Obviously, people have taken advantage and people who have discovered it have kind of leaked the information, you know, and I'm not saying that they've posted, you know, point for point how they've done it on the forums. But because security has been such a um, of low importance, um, it has been quite easy to do. Um, You know, it's been wide open. And so once um, a few people have mentioned how simple it is, uh, it just takes a bit of Googling. Um, for a few um, hacking tools, and, and other people have been able to do the same thing. So now hacking has become almost par for the course with a lot of people. And so I can understand why a lot of people are a bit miffed. Um, I think a lot of it is misguided, given that it is alpha and, and these things need to be tested. Um, there's some legitimate complaints you know, about people who are hacking and, and just then just really spoiling it for all the other testers by, you know, just completely ganking them all the time or something like that. But I think most of the, you know, most of what I call the original testers haven't been doing that. They have just um, been, you know, doing their best to uncover different ways to hack the client and then obviously report it. Um, But as I said, I think it's, you know, instrumental to the alpha process. Um, So, yeah, my hat's off to everyone who's been doing it. Okay, Crash? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. The the, the thing that's uh, the biggest concern at the moment is everyone believes, or lots of people seem to believe, that this uh, hacking is going to continue past release. And that's that's one thing. That's where I draw the line. I mean, I had a look at it myself. It is very, very easy to do. Um, but it's not a concern for me because I think really, I mean, if I was building a piece of software like that, like you said, you know, security takes a backseat for the time being. If you're debugging a piece of software, the last thing you want to do is add a security layer on top at this stage because it makes debugging an absolute nightmare. You kind of add that obfuscation on at a later date to, you know, mix things up and make it uh, much harder to hack. And not only that, but I mean, as uh, the multiplayer model evolves for the game, I expect Frontier are going to move to a fully transactional server-based model for the uh, the monetary transactions and everything in there so it, it's going to get increasingly more difficult to uh, hack things as we go on so it, it really doesn't really bother me that it's going to be broken i mean as, as i said you know the obfuscation is, is kind of the, the technique of uh, uh, of mixing up the memory so that you can't just go in with a simple little tool and change one value there you go your credits are a billion uh you know it's it's kind of a case of making that uh, it's putting a layer around it you wrap these things up that's how security works when when you're working on a client-side model but you know like i said it, it really doesn't worry me because i think it's the whole game is going to change as we move to, towards release it's not going to work the same way we're not going to be having all of the important information about your game 
locally on your computer. It's going to be on a server, which in theory is uh, neon impossible for anyone to hack and change. Yeah, certainly that was one of the things that I've learned from uh, going through this this topic is the whole sort of client side and, and server side and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, what you're basically saying is at the moment, the elite games, you know, people are changing the information that's on their own PCs. And as we move towards a release, you think that more of that sort of important information will actually be held by Frontier themselves on their own server and not on your own personal computer. Is that right? Yeah, it makes sense to me that at the moment they're going to build the simplest system they can build to kind of almost like a proof of concept to show you know this is the stock market system, this is the weapon damage system, this is the build that all locally on on one program, on one instance on your local machine. That's the easiest way to do it, and then they can layer on these different ways of doing it in multiplayer so that it uh, it has to go up to the server when you buy an item, when you sell an item, it has to go up and ask the server, can I do that? Am I allowed to do that? before the money gets deducted or added. Uh, once you go to that sort of model, it's the whole idea of hacking your client goes out the window. It's completely gone. And I think the reason we haven't seen that yet is because we haven't got that fully working background simulation. And we, we need the local client-side version to be up and operational in order to play single-player offline. But when we move to completely multiplayer online, I think Frontier are going to employ a completely different model. They've, they've just not finished it yet. Okay, well, I mean, that makes perfect sense, and certainly my experience of this has been the likes of EVE Online, which I know is completely server-side when it comes to transactions and you know, the important information. I mean, what's interesting about what you've just said there is the fact that Frontier are talking about moving to this completely sort of online um, sort of multiplayer uh, aspect, and one of the things that they committed to when they were doing the Kickstarter is that this game should be, if you wanted to, completely uh, single-player without being connected so you know if they're going to stick to that sort of guarantee or that commitment do you think there's still going to be possible therefore to to do these hacks on your local game um, even if you're spoiling it for yourselves and then maybe take them with you when you rejoin the servers well, I think, I mean, I, I am kind of speculating on how, how this happened. I mean, if I was building this model up, I mean, exactly what I said, with, you know, that I would build up that client-side version first. For single-player offline, that, that's your own call. If you want to go hack that, change that, whatever, then, well, that's, that's up to you. You know, it's, it's not going to affect anyone. It's not going to damage anyone else's experience of the game. As soon as you go into connected, now, be that single-player online or multiplayer online, there's that possibility that you screwing around with something could... You know, it could damage someone else's experience of the game in one way or another, and that's that's where it's unfair. That's where I mean, I would draw the line and say, no, you're not allowed to do that anymore. So, every aspect of that which is currently locally on the machine, I would lift and move to a server model. Again, you know, just talking about the you know, the spoiling the enjoyment of other people's games. Obviously, we're now moving into this MMO world uh, where everybody's connected, and you know, you can see some sort of recent examples of where you know these type of online games have been hacked and yeah, the, the response that you get from the publishers I mean it was just in the what was it 22nd of May uh, there was an article on the BBC News where Blizzard are actually um, suing people that have been hacking Starcraft 2 you know they're actually taking legal action and uh, another one which was recent that was uh, Grand Theft Auto online uh, where you know people had hacked that for money you know, and had their accounts revoked and stuff can you really see that Frontier are going to have to monitor it and you know, be as aggressive as that in order to keep the universe, you know, fair and free for everybody. I think online, you know, online game hacking is something that you know all games uh, developers and publishers need to be aware of. 
Um, you know, there's some pretty clever people out there. Um, and I guess, you know, they're going to have the same issues as all other games companies at the end of the day. You know, there may be a chance that somebody does hack something and, and does affect the online game. And, and the important thing will be how they manage that. And, and will, you know, will they kind of make sure everybody's happy and, you know, stop, you know, close that loophole, make sure everybody's account is back in order or whatever. Um, so as long as they do that, I mean, that's one thing. Um, you know, the issues about stopping Joe Blogs from just, you know, getting a ready-made tool and, and allowing, you know, large numbers of people to basically exploit the system. That's what they need to do. They need to prevent that kind of thing. The script kiddies, as I call them, who, who can just, via a simple tool, you know, give themselves loads of cash or make themselves invincible. So, and, and that's basically the kind of stuff that... Um, you know, a lot of the, the hackers have been doing in the alpha is that they've just been finding the really easy ones. And those are the ones that Frontier should be looking to close. But, you know, if people start think, thinking that Frontier are going to be able to, you know, secure it 100%, like no other online game company have been able to do, then I think that's, it, it's just, you know, pie in the sky. Yeah. Okay, Crash? Sorry, I think, yeah, it's, it's a never-ending battle, really, isn't it? I mean, like you said, I mean, even, even big companies like Blizzard, all the experience they've had in multiplayer, they've not been able to lock it down. You're going to keep seeing these things incrementally come out. But I think the great thing about the whole experience and the way that Lee Dangerous has been built with the community and everything, we've got quite a tech-savvy community, which has really, uh, you know, jumped in on this whole idea of finding all these little exploitations and things and uh, plugging them in. As long as those people are, you know, registering those uh, bug reports and letting Frontier know, no, then they're all going to get patched up. All the simple little quick wins are going to get patched up. I just, I'd hate to see Frontier's uh, dev log. It must be huge. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, as you say, it is an ongoing battle. I mean, you know, cheats are, are nothing new. We've had, uh, you know, going all the way back to you know, <laughs> your Game Genie cards, or even before that, the the Spectrum, the Pokes. There's always been ways of of hacking the uh, the system but i mean for a game like elite dangerous i mean john you were talking about there about people putting in um you know scripts and stuff to you know to automate stuff and make uh, make money yeah i know in certain mmos i can see the attraction of not wanting to do the grind but you know without being too um <laughs> too disparaging isn't the grind what makes elite fun to a certain degree isn't you know the whole you know, coming from nothing and building yourself up, what makes the game enjoyable? And if you can get people that do scriptings for that, isn't that not going to take away their enjoyment for it? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, you know, enjoyment is kind of subjective. And, and so we all find different types of enjoyment, different aspects of the game. You know, and if some people, you know, can find a way around, you know, doing something that they consider boring or a chore, then, you know, they're going to want to do that. Um, and I can kind of, you know, kind of sympathize in a way, you know, um, but, it, and I, I, I think it's like in one of the earlier podcasts I talked about grind because, you know, grind, get all gameplay, you know, in a way is, is grind, you know, giving up time, um, for progression, you know, that is a grind. Um, now you can either have fun doing it, you know, and we've seen that in the current alpha, you know, flying between systems, you never know what's going to happen, you might get interdicted, whatever. But if you think about it, you are just sat there, waiting to either arrive or waiting to be interdicted. And some people don't enjoy that. 
I mean, when I said that I thought they should make it a little bit shorter, I, I didn't mean instantaneous. I just meant that, you know, shave, you know, maybe a minute off a long travel or something like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I can kind of understand why people, you know, might want to try and reduce some aspects of gameplay that they don't like. Um, but I, I think ultimately um, the biggest source of anti-grind are usually people that want to take advantage um, of like in-game currency so I'm thinking of like the gold farmers in World of Warcraft and things like that so what they were doing is they were using automated software to play a character um, and they didn't have to actually play they just let some uh, some macros you know do all of the grinding so because their goal was simply to generate cash that they could then sell to other players um, so I mean that's the obvious you know negative you know, avoidance of grinding. So, um, but at the same time, you know, if you make a game that's just all about grinding, you know, there's, you're going to start turning people off, I guess. And so, you know, I, I can I can understand um, why, I mean, well, we can all understand other players not liking certain aspects of games or finding it boring or a chore. Yeah, absolutely. Grant, you've been sitting there very quietly whilst we've discussed this. What's your thoughts on the matter? Well, yeah, I mean, I've... I've got one sort of concern about the cheating and the hacking. I mean, it's it's got to be done, and that's the fact of life. It's just got to be done in order so that they can make sure that they don't miss anything obvious. However, I get this. I've got this concern that what that's doing is skewing the ability to actually measure what it's like for the normal player. So the guy that's not cheating, the guy that's not. Um, hacking and is trying to grind to see whether or not they've got is it too difficult to make money or too easy to make money, and they're getting skewed because they're leaving the station uh, or they're trying to undock and then they're hitting somebody in this hacked lake on or this uh, anaconda or I think we saw the image of John Stabler's um, was it your sidewinder with these massive guns attached to them, um, and. It's skewing the ability for these people to grind because it's you know it's maybe they get caught in crossfire and or they end up in a smash in the docking port and I'm just worried that we're not getting the fair play measured well enough for Frontier to see whether or not there's any tweakings needing done. Yeah, that's an interesting point, John. As you've been sort of a member of this sort of hacking community, I mean, how many people are out there doing it? Is it is it a big enough number of people to, as Grant says, affect? the way the Frontier see the balance of gameplay? Well, I think Grant may actually have a point because um, the hacks have been so straightforward and they've been using well-known tools that I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if hundreds of players have managed to actually, um, you know, hack their balance. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he, may, he may be justified in his, some of his concern there. You know, if it was only, you know, a handful of players then it might not be such a problem. It has been pretty easy to do so far. So I am keen for them to close some of the obvious loopholes to cut out the hackers, which aren't really hackers. They're just people who've managed to Google a tool online. You know, cut them out and, and just, you know, listen to the people that have some skill in hacking um, and, and have gone out of their way to create their own tools and their own methods because they're the ones really who are going to uncover um, the exploits which would perhaps would remain hidden um, until release and then it would be a bit of a disaster if people did start taking advantage of them. Okay, good points. Well, 
Has anybody got anything else they want to add to this discussion? I know it's going to rumble on as we go through the uh, the premium beta phase and have a few more people in the elite universe. It'll be interesting to see how um, you know, extending the critical mass of players is going to affect the, the level of cheating and hacking and exploitation that goes into the code. Anything else to add, guys? Yeah, I'd just like to say, I mean, it, it, as long as it's kept a single player, then that's fine. As soon as you cross over into that multiplayer, I think that's that's where I draw the line and say the, the problem with that is as soon as you are enhancing your experience, you are detrimenting everyone else's experience. You're devaluing their effort that they've put into the gameplay. So if you want to cheat, keep the single player offline. Great stuff. Okay, well, thanks for that, guys. We shall be back just right after this break. Attention, attention. Please stand by for a live station educational broadcast. There are three major power blocks that you will encounter in the galaxy. The Empire. Originally founded by Marlin Duval, who led the colonization of the Akanar system in the mid-23rd century, the Empire is based on a Kleens system. Society is strictly stratified, with people being able to move between strata based on money, patronage and influence. The Empire values both status and honour very highly indeed, so whilst it is acceptable to flaunt wealth, treating people well is a question of honour, and this includes slaves. Having an unpaid debt is seen as utterly dishonourable. An honourable imperial citizen will sell themselves into slavery to clear a debt they couldn't otherwise clear. Law is seen and enforced very differently in the Empire. Senators are responsible for enforcing the Emperor's laws but the senators themselves are above the law. They can order executions and can even kill people themselves, though sometimes, rarely, they may be held to account for their actions by the emperor. Some senators are warlike and may take over systems in the name of the empire to get the spoils and they may get a good deal of support as a result. Some senators do not tolerate slavery and regularly speak out against it, but from the basis of honour, not suggesting it should not be illegal. In the Empire, very little is illegal, but many things are frowned upon, like excessive use of narcotics. Okay, and we're back and straight into the Community Corner. And this week's Community Corner, we're going to be covering a little bit about the Writers section and the fact that most of these books have now been released. We're also going to be taking a little bit of time to cover the mostly harmless community questions that are covered in the newsletters. We haven't touched on these for a few weeks and there has been a massive backlog. So we're going to take some time and go through that because some of the information there is actually quite juicy. So it'd be good to get that out. But starting us off with the most important piece of news... And there should be a drum roll and a fanfare, but LaveCon tickets 2014 are now on sale. Yay! <laughs> you can get those by going to uh, tinyurl.com forward slash LaveCon. Um, but just let's talk a little bit about LaveCon 2014. It's going to be held on the 5th and 6th of July at the Kettering Conference Centre. Uh, where it's going to bring you a preview of the currently dangerous game. So if you haven't bought into the alpha or the beta uh, and you want to have a look and see what this game is actually playing like, we'll have stations set up there in a, a LAN room where you can actually get your hands on the game. And I believe Crash Grant, you're bringing down your Oculus Rifts to, uh, to do a quick demo, is that right? Oh, yes. So if you haven't had a chance to get your hands on an Oculus Rift and see what the next generation of virtual reality looks like and how it marries up beautifully with Elite Dangerous Universe, then get yourself down there and have a quick demo for that. 
Um, we've also got some of the you know, Frontier Development uh, devs there coming down for some Q&As and some questions and doing some presentations for us. Uh, we'll have a live lay radio recording, God help us. Uh, a peek into the games associated fiction with the Elite Writers Q&A. And we've got the guys from uh, Fantastic Books Publishing and also from Galantz coming there to, uh, to do a presentation as well. We'll have uh, book readings as well as the open board game lounge. We'll have some uh, role-playing games with elite encounters. We've got a green screen cosplay corner, a 3DS street pass, and Nintendo room set up, uh, and various other things to be decided. So definitely a full couple of days planned. Uh, tickets, are, as I say, are on sale now. If you go to the Lave Radio webpage, uh, you should be able to find the link directly there. But... Um, what do you reckon, guys? Exciting that LaveCon's coming around? Yeah, I mean, I think the important message to get out is even if, you know, none of that stuff that Foz just listed interests you, there is a bar there. <laughs> so, um, that, you know, I'm j- I just want to, you know, appeal to all the alcoholics out there that, um, you know, there's going to be lots of interesting people there and alcohol. <laughs> and I suppose we should also mention uh, one of the forumites, uh, Rory Scarlett, is also offering up some of his... Uh, Elite Dangerous themed homebrew uh, as some competition prizes. So if you fancy a, a try of some Asp Exploder, uh, then again, another good reason to get yourself down to LaveCon 2014. Um, having a quick look at the tickets. Tickets are priced at, now that we're on sale, we can tell you, uh, a one-day-only ticket is priced at £10. Uh, so either the Saturday or Sunday, £10. It's £16 for the whole weekend. And if you'd like uh, a bed on site, because there will be an overnight LAN gaming party going on, uh, tickets for those are £50. And if you'd rather bring your own tent, we do actually have uh, camping tickets available, and they're £25. So £10, £16, £50, and £25. But uh, get them, because they are going very, very fast. Okay, and the writer section this week, obviously we've got no, uh, no Mr. Jarvis and no Mr. Stroud, so we can't really take you through the, the writer's forum, but I, mean, I can't imagine there's much action going on there at the moment because everybody's just waiting for all these books to drop, and we've seen some of them already go out there into the wild, some of them through Kickstarter uh, pledge levels, uh, and also some as retail e-books. The Glance books went out earlier on this month, so that's Elite Wanted by Gavin Diaz, Docking is Difficult by Gideon Defoe, and Nemorensis by Simon Spurrier. They're available on Amazon. If you're interested in those books, just check out the show notes, and I will put some links in for those. But uh, it's great to have followed the Elite fiction all the way through from its conception, from the original discussion around the you know, the novelty and the, you know, the uniqueness of having the, the fiction licenses as part of the kickstarter campaign following it through and now actually seeing some final products out there to buy uh have you guys managed to dip in and buy any of these yet um well as i said earlier i have i've started reading elite wanted um my reading time is severely limited so I, I hope to get to the end of that maybe in the next week or so and maybe i could do a review or something we'll see i i'm most looking forward still to drew's book um and alan's book so um, I'll be trying to read them as soon as possible, I think. Well, certainly I know that Elite Reclamation, I got a, an email through saying that uh, those people that are backed at a certain pledge level can expect their Elite Reclamation to be dropping into their uh, inbox some point later on this month as well. So you're not going to have to wait very long for that one, certainly. Wee! <laughs> um, okay, well... 
Uh, we'll have more on the uh, Elite Fiction as it continues to drop over the next couple of weeks or so. But one of the other things that we just wanted to touch on quickly on the community corner was uh, Elite Dangerous is going to E3 in Los Angeles on the 10th and 12th of June. Now, uh, if you remember, we covered the, the BAFTAs event that happened in London where um, David Braben was there talking about the, the latest build of Elite and showcasing it off to the game journalists and also to the public. Well, at that event, uh, Crash was lucky enough to be selected as one of the Frontier Development Ambassadors, showing the game off to the, the public. And, okay, so it's across the shores, but we have friends over in America who also love Elite, and congratulations to one of the forum members, Dr. Wookie, who has won the U.S. Ambassador role, and he'll be going with Frontier Developments to E3 in Los Angeles uh, in the middle of June. So, Crash, seeing as you're here... Maybe you can give us an insight to what that role was actually like and what Dr. Wookie can expect when he goes to E3. Oh, I mean, it, it was fantastic. I mean, it, it really was kind of one of those dream moments you just never think is ever going to happen. You just like see David just stood there, right, nonchalant, and it's like, oh, I know him. Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience, and uh, it was great to just get involved and uh, show the game off to members of the public. And those reactions off people was the, were the thing that I enjoyed most, is people who just hadn't really seen the game before and just kind of you know just responded like wow this is really good you know I said, oh, it's going to be so much better at e3 i think uh, a lot of people are going to be very uh, envious of dr wookie it's going to be fantastic well i think uh, i mean you correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe that in in real life dr wookie is actually an astrophysicist and he's been quite quite engaged in the forum answering people's questions about the various sort of astronomy aspects of the game and and making sure everybody's you know keeping the science right um, so I think it's fantastic that he got the nod and I think he's going to have a great time in E3 and with any luck he will report back and maybe we can get him on the show to just give us a little bit of a report of what E3 was like. Okay and finally for this week's Community Corner we are going to focus in on the questions from the community, the mostly harmless questions that are covered in the newsletter. Starting us off on the questions, it's Insane Photo who asks, seeing as there should be some amazing visuals, will there be any game screen grab or screenshot manager? Uh, the answer to this was, the game already supports screen capture just by pressing F10 and it's saved to your local hard drive. It's unlikely that they're going to provide any game-specific screenshot manager, as there's plenty of image library apps available for this purpose. Yeah, another question came from Kathy. She asked, will there be hidden societies, such as secret orders, to encounter in Elite Dangerous? I thought this was a cool question because I had well not fond memories, but I seem to remember the like the monk order in Van Manen's star, um, and yeah, they confirmed there'll be a range of um, characteristics for different organisations, ranging from you know major power blocks to you know crime syndicates and smaller organisations, um, and you know part of the appeal of the Dangerous Galaxy is the breadth of human interaction that you can can become involved in. You know, the primary vehicle for this interaction will be the missions. It's something they're going to build on further as they expand in the game. Another question there from T. Luamiani. Will guilds and clans be supported and how? So by default, everyone is enrolled as a member of the Pilots Federation. And within that, there will be groups, which is a functionality that allows people to form these organic associations. There will also be three major power blocks of the Federation, the Empire and the Alliance of Independence. And you can cozy up or act against them as you wish. Uh, specifically, created clans are something that will be investigated after the first release of the game. Zari Wilk asks, how many commodities there will be in Elite Dangerous? 
And the answer for that is that they are still refining the design. Uh, at the moment, they're testing with around about 100 different core commodities, with other specialised ones based off them, including tea. Such specialist or rares are a separate type of tradable item, like Lavian brandy, for example. And the recent plea for tea has been heard and is back in the list, although very expensive tea. <laughs> Next question came in from Brody. And apart from freight and possibly ammo, will ship components such as rare weapons or engines drop or be salvageable from destroyed NPC ships? And Frontier say, well, currently the design is that you can salvage raw materials and data from derelict ships. An idea we're considering is that enhancement technology from specific weapons and modules can provide temporary augmentation for your equipment. And there's a question from Jant. How much freedom will there be to customize our ships from an aesthetic point of view? Uh, and it's a good answer, actually. Um, the, in the intention is to support a wide range of customizations. Um, they're working out some of the details, but support for skins and decals is certain. Uh, ways to customize your cockpit are something they're thinking about. Um, and it's something that can be expanded on further as the game gets bigger as well. So um, I think that's a real positive thing because um, a lot of people, you know, don't want to fly around in the same blue Cobra. They do want to be able to uh, give it a custom orange paint job. <laughs> With disco balls. A question from FS3D Pete. Will explorers be able to receive recognition and a finder's fee for discovering new bodies such as planets? So exploration is a form of data trading. Discovering new systems and celestial bodies generates data that can be then traded for credits. So significant finds could also be reported in the news feed and will also help to guide the expansion of human space. Um, Patrick, 60 bazillion, asks, when we fly over planets, what minimum altitude will be allowed? Surely if it's zero, then it's a crash, isn't it? Well, apparently, <laughs> Frontier have answered that uh, they will allow fuel skimming on gas giants and make sure that the star ports can be placed in suitable orbits. Throughout the beta, there'll be an ongoing process to optimise and improve the already cool-looking planets at ever closer distances. That's exciting. Uh, question from Lebetz. Uh, the question that a lot of us have asked, which is, will there be at long last generation ships? And again, Frontier being very coy and keeping all their cards to their chests. And all they say is that, yes, indeed, it would be certainly fun to have them, uh, which isn't really much of an answer whatsoever. Now, I think we should skip John on this one and send it straight back to uh, to Crash, because it was actually one of your questions that got answered. It certainly was, yeah. Um, so I asked, uh, what was the smallest detail of procedural content that uh, is being considered for the game? And will we uh, be able to customize it or will it be engine controlled? And uh, the answer back from Frontier was uh, dust particles is probably as small as they go. Uh, or perhaps the details that you see on the procedural textures. Uh, alpha backers have already flown over ring systems at superluminal speeds. And when you look down, you can see the billions of individual rocks hurtling around low and perhaps heading into them i'll jump in here lister i69 asks what benefits can we expect to see from becoming an explorer uh, and frontier developments say the excitement of discovering something unusual and perhaps even staking a claim though this has to be registered finding a metal rich system that is untouched for example would be a great find and lucrative too and i guess this is the last question from philip coots why did you pick the Sidewinder for the basic starting ship? 
and the answer was that it gave them more headroom in the ship progression. The Sidewinder is much smaller than the Cobra for much the reason, much the same reason that the Eagle was the default starting ship in Frontier Elite Two. Yeah, and did you guys actually spend much time in the Eagle in uh, Frontier uh, Elite Two? I think there was an option of actually starting um, with a Cobra if you started in a system that was further out, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't remember if if the Cobra was the one that didn't have um, a docking computer, but um, no, I actually did start in the Eagle, and I spent quite a while in it, but I think that's just because of the limited cargo space, and it took quite a bit of a trading grind to get out of it. Yeah, but I mean, I think we could probably all uh, see the point of uh, of starting off in a Sidewinder, and you know, one of the nice things about the game is literally sort of jumping up uh, ship by ship and you know, having that sense of progression. Uh, interestingly, though, with the Kickstarter pledges, some of us could actually uh, sort of skip that and go straight into you know, a starting ship of a Cobra Mark III. Anybody wonder if that's going to sort of spoil the enjoyment for some of us? Well, it's interesting that you mention that because I think that I am possibly going to be one of those people that do jump straight into the Cobra. Um, I like the bigger ships. Um, now, I can appreciate people like the whole progression thing. I mean, there were some people that were hoping that the game would launch um, with the kind of, with being able to walk around space stations because they wanted to start with like only 100 credits and would have to actually earn their first ship. Um, now, I can completely understand why people want to do that. They really do want that kind of feeling from the, you know, the rags to riches. Um, but I'm more interested in, you know, playing missions in trade. And so I, I don't think I'd be missing out on anything except pure grinding by jumping into something a little bit bigger like a Cobra. Great stuff. OK, well, that's going to do it for the Community Corner this week. Uh, after this last section, we'll be coming straight back for some feedback and some shout outs. The Federation. To an outsider... The hierarchy of Federation society is based on democratic principles. People vote within their system or state to elect congressmen and a president with an eight-year term and a vote of confidence after the first four years. However, corporate loyalty oils the machine and Federation space is a battleground of commerce. Commercial organizations compete as aggressively as the law will allow for the time and attention of the federal citizen who goes through life bombarded by advertising. Corruption is not unusual. Individuals defend it shamelessly when caught as getting one over on the system. Social class is only determined between haves and have-nots. There is a lot of poverty about, as well as conspicuous wealth. The huge gross domestic product of the Federation economy funds a large, well-equipped Federal Navy, which projects its values and influence. Culturally, the Federation is tolerant of some things, like religions, but utterly intolerant of drug-taking, political activism and certain cultures. A great many things are illegal, like slavery, cloning and certain narcotics. Federal law is based on an agreed constitution. People have rights and freedoms enshrined by this agreement. Local state law prohibits other trafficking to a greater or lesser degree, Things like ship-based weapons, personal weapons, other milder drugs and alcohol are banned in some systems. The media drives a culture of celebrity. Top-ranking politicians, social commentators, entertainers and super-rich all command a great deal of media attention. 
This provides a massive distraction for the populace, to the extent that foreign wars conducted by the Federation on their behalf get little media attention. This has gone on for many hundreds of years, and there is no sign of it changing. The Alliance The independent alliance of systems arose out of a need for cooperation. Centuries of warfare, and both imperial and federal meddling in a great many otherwise peaceful independent systems, caused various small alliances to form, and then get broken up over the centuries. The alliance formed from a number of culturally different systems with a unified goal, to provide a stronger voice in the galaxy for its member systems and ultimately to defend them against unwelcome attention from the big powers. The independent alliance is culturally very varied and leadership of the alliance, the presidency, moves between member systems annually, has been described as challenging. Seeking an agreement between the member systems is generally a tortuous process usually ending up with a great deal of compromise. Militarily, cooperation has been more successful. Each member system contributes a portion of its navy to the Alliance Defence Force, the total contribution proportional to its GDP. It is led by the six strong Council of Admirals, one from each of the largest member navies, but they can act swiftly without government approval, which has proved very effective, and over the years there has been little disagreement between the admirals. Contributed vessels generally bear the decals of their own navy, but have an additional Alliance Defence Force decal applied while they are with the group. So, the culture of identity and independence, and rivalries, applies here too. Okay, and finally for this episode, some feedback and shout-outs. I suppose the first shout-out has to go to, uh, to David Braben and uh, his dev diary number 12 that we were supposed to cover at the beginning of this podcast and have completely forgotten about. So just quickly, let's just talk about David and his dev diary number 12. David talks about the alpha and his gratitude towards the people that have backed Project the Alpha backers and the, the newly arriving beta backers. And also he mentions how DDF have had a massive input onto the, the Super Cruise and how you see the culmination of the, the collaboration between the Design Decision Forum and the, the devs. So the link for the Dev Diary number 12 is going to be in the show notes. Um, LaveCon 2014 tickets are now on sale if you go to laveradio.com it's linked on the homepage or you can just go directly to tinyurl.com forward slash lavecon and if we could put a a request out for a little bit of marketing assistance uh, John has set up a LaveCon Thunderclap now for those of you that aren't aware of a Thunderclap a Thunderclap is basically a social media event where at the same time, on the same date, uh, a promotional tweet or status update is posted on your Facebook page. Uh, basically advertises the thing that you're interested in. In this case, it would be LaveCon. So if you'd like to help us out and sign up for that, if you wouldn't mind going to tinyurl.com forward slash Lave Thunderclap. And Crash, seeing as you're here, maybe it would be a good idea for you to give a shout out for your Twitch TV channel. Yeah, so uh, I try to at least do a weekly live stream of the uh, the latest things you can see in the in Elite Dangerous. Uh, that's on. Uh 
twitch.tv slash crash landing that's a k-e-r-r-a-s-h and uh, just i'm just welcome to have anyone come along it's a great little community event i try and have members of the community come in and uh, use it as their little soapbox so uh, we can all chat about the game and uh, see our uh, our views and uh, express uh, what we like in the current builds yeah, definitely go and check that out. It's absolutely fantastic. It's quite interesting to hear your fellow gamers talk about uh, scenarios and point out things that maybe you hadn't noticed. Um, the other Twitch TV channel is obviously Frontier Development's official uh, streaming channel. They've now started doing live streamings of the latest builds. Uh, you can check them out at twitch.tv forward slash Elite Dangerous. Yes, um, Simon and myself have been working on a new podcast kind of based around the whole BS News and Barrett Star Station and we thought we'd create a sort of mockumentary of what goes on behind the scenes and what you know the, the people of the station are doing their daily jobs and a wee sort of peek into their lives and the things that motivate them, the problems that they face, uh, and frankly, just for some more carry-on and uh, to take the mickey out of things that keep happening in the Alpha. And uh, we've got our first episodes done. Uh, we're just at the moment compiling our second episode, hoping to have it ready to release on Thursday before the big premium beta drop. So it is on iTunes. It is available through our Thargoid and Ferdinand's website. And, um, yeah, if you want to check it out and have a giggle and let us know what you think, we'd love to hear your comments. And if they're interested, Grant, what's that actually called? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, we are, have an audio play called Dockers. It's called <laughs> Dockers. Uh, you'll find out if you search for Dockers on the <laughs> iTunes, um, it should come up. It's got quite a, a nice little tagline, which is somebody has to empty your load iTunes reviews, a quick thank you to Spike73 and Ultra Snail and Judas Eye for leaving us feedback in iTunes. It's always nice to get the warm and fuzzies from listeners and thank you very much for doing that. Social media, if you'd like to come and join us on Twitter and Facebook, we promise we won't spam you. You can catch us at Lay Radio on Twitter or Facebook forward slash Lay Radio. If you'd like to contact us by email, you can at info at laveradio.com. And if you'd like to call us on Skype and leave us a voicemail, you can at lave.radio. As we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, if you'd like to join the Elite Dangerous Skype chat channel, you just need to add Fozzer101 to your Skype contacts and I will drop you straight in. And again, because you've all been asking for them since episode one, you can now find show notes for the show at laveradio.com forward slash show forward slash 30. And a special thank you to Ian M. Norman, who has been the voice of the information terminal throughout the show. I think you'll all agree he's done a fantastic job of that narration. And that's it for another show. A special thanks to John Virgo, a.k.a. Crash, and to Grant Walcott, a.k.a. Psycho Cow, and to my partner in crime, Mr. John Stabler. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you next time.
I'm going to see the galaxy. And also, for the first time, the means for which to travel around it with a fully functional shit. Shame, 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 thrift drive. Shame. A shame shift drive. <laughs> that, where the more shameful things you do, the faster you can go. <laughs> oh, do you haven't even started drinking yet? Okay, so maybe we can get him on the show to just give us a little bit of a report of what E3 was like. <laughs> with any luck, they won't dress him in a bikini and have him as the Frontier Development booth babe. Obviously, we'll cut that out because that was a ridiculous thing to say at the end of that. Well, segment. I was going to say <laughs> he, he might have been quite hot. What are you on about? Um, Dev Diary number twelve. David Daisy. 